welcome to the Growth Agenda podcast, a partnership between Advertising Council Australia and The Australian. I'm editor Pippa Chambers, and in today's discussion, we'll be asking if tech drives creativity or vice versa. Today's speakers are Head of Content at Catch, Alex Wright, EGM for Strategy and Research at Tourism Australia, Rob Dugan, and Executive Creative Director and GM of Digitas, Simon Brock. So today I want us to kind of just jump straight in and talk about this role of creativity and technology. For a long time, we've heard about the two battling each other. Are we kind of past that now? And Rob, you know, specifically in your role, you cover sort of strategy, research, data. How do they sit alongside each other in your role? Yeah, look, I, I think that I don't think they've ever really battled each other, have they? I mean, I think that they're kind of fantastic bedfellows. I can see that there's always an element, I guess, of threat or of risk when these things are new and we don't know how to use them yet. And we're kind of learning how they how they operate and what the kind of benefits are. But I think, you know, over the course of creative you know, commercial creativity that we all kind of work in, I think that, you know, the combinations have, have resulted in very, very good outcomes. It just takes a while to, for us to figure out. I mean, at Tourism Australia, we are quite, I guess, considered in how we use technology. And obviously, we're Simon's client, so he can talk about this a lot as well. But we really want to make sure that we're doing work that works and that we're really an effective organisation and we're using our budget to the biggest and best impact. So really, we're looking for stuff that works, not necessarily the most kind of groundbreaking or the most newest, we really focus on effectiveness. I suppose in my area, data, we've put a lot of investment into data recently so that we can make good decisions in this kind of really sort of critical recovery moment. So that's really the thing that I'm sort of most interested in is how we apply that data in lots and lots of different ways around the organisation, again, to make us better at making good decisions and to make us more effective overall. And Simon, what are you seeing and hearing from clients around how they're kind of spending across both creative and those tech areas and that kind of merging of both of them. Is there any interesting or unique trends or observations around creativity and, and data that you're sort of currently witnessing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're seeing more and more clients investing larger portions of their budgets into the worlds of data and tech. But I think interestingly, if you look at the cultures of marketing departments, you know, most marketing teams have a creative culture. They understand what creativity is and, and how to improve embrace it. They know how to assess it, how to critique it. They know how to buy it. And yet on the sort of the technology side, there's a recent survey that talked about globally marketers are spending about 25% of their budgets on marketing technologies. And yet 50% of Australian CMOs say that their teams, you know, they're not confident their teams have the technology and data skills to actually use that technology properly. I think there's this kind of magnitude of disappointment sometimes between the promise of technology and, you know, and what brands and, and marketers actually get out of it. And ultimately it's because not a lot of marketing teams have a really strong data culture. A lot of them have really strong creative cultures and they know how to, you know, how to flex creativity, but they're still maturing their data cultures. And I think that's something that we're going to see Australian marketers continue to invest in. And we're seeing more and more, you know, CMOs and CCOs who come from a, a sort of a data and technology and customer background starting to lead those teams because ultimately I think that's where the work to be done is, is on kind of helping marketing teams have strong creative cultures and strong data cultures that that work together. And Alex, in your role at Catch as head of content, you know, big, obviously huge website, a lot of content, a lot of data, recent big ad campaign, you know, how would you describe your culture of creativity and your culture of data? Yeah, absolutely. We're really at the start of our journey in this process. So I'd say we really have fostered a fantastic creative environment. We have some brilliant talent internally, 
but we really haven't thought about how, I guess, technology sets us up for the future. And what I mean by that is sort of the creative automation tools that are out there now. If you think five, 10 years ago, a lot of those tools didn't exist. And what they're allowing us to do is to be more agile and allow us to deliver high quality content in such a complex marketing environment where we expect more content from businesses and, and brands. And you know, we have just had our fantastic brand campaign. What that has allowed us to do, though, is we've created one big brand campaign and now we're using the creative automation tools to give us content stretch. So it's not just about creating just one piece of content that lasts us for a month. It's thinking about how that can last us for 12 months. And that's what creative automation tools allow us to do. Rob, how does that work for Tourism Australia? And how are you juggling the data to shape the creative? Yeah, so we just launched our campaign quite recently, Come Say G'day, with Ruby the Rube and Rose Byrne. And for us, you know, there's a great Mike Ritson quote, which is, if you work in a category, you're no longer part of the target audience. You know, and that's especially true when I think it comes to travel. So we have a lot of people looking at our work and everyone's investing it because we're Aussies and it represents, you know, us on the world stage. But, you know, Aussies have a very sophisticated understanding of this as a destination because we live here, right? For us to understand how, you know, people in other countries, you know, the travels that we want to come here, view us and understand our work and how we can appeal to their, you know, relatively one-dimensional of this country, we really need to have data to help us do that. It's not the sort of thing that you can just intuitively understand. So we've been working a lot with System 1 to look at, yes, yeah, some of their you know neuro kind of methodologies and their facial recognition to understand what the kind of potential is in the work that we've done and we've done multiple rounds of testing in that space to ensure that you know we had this idea a fair while ago but how do we keep making it better how do we make sure it's going to resonate and be motivating in lots and lots of different markets that we um you know we just naturally don't understand as well as we sort of understand ourselves so that's been that's been really critical for us and and i'm pleased to say that the work has tested incredibly well and you can sort of see that start to play out now with some of the success in some of the very very early metrics we won't see visitation we won't see expenditure really kind of ramp up in the short term because there's a massive lag in this category but you can see the early results looking very promising simon you know is is there no such thing as brave work anymore do we feel like the data just you know reassures us we know it's going to be fine we've tested it to the nth degree is it kind of like this is safe where does that leave that kind of room for maybe a bit of risky or that kind of fear factor are those days kind of gone now i think far from it i think plenty of people who work in marketing wish that we could go to market with like pure confidence that everything we're going to put in the world would work i don't think it's ever going to be true and there's still there's still tons of room for bravery there's probably more need for bravery now than we've seen you know in previous years because we're competing for attention against seven billion other content creators you know on a daily basis i think we're still seeing really brave work being rewarded i think we still see audiences leaning heavily into loving work that stands out that feels different that you know has an edge to it um no so i i think you know, we'll continue to see bravery. The, the format of that bravery might, you know, change. It might be, you know, less and less are we seeing really brave 30-second TV spots and more and more are we seeing really brave, you know, extended long-form content like what Tourism Australia just launched, you know, in terms of like challenging the places that marketing can go and the kinds of experiences that marketers can create. But I, I don't think bravery is going to leave any creative industry anytime soon, even as we can start to measure things more and, you know, automate things more. I think without bravery, without surprising, without earning people's attention, we can't be successful and effective. Because I completely agree with that. You know, I think that the reason that the technology and the 
reason that we were kind of really caught on system one's methodology is that it actually rewards bravery, right? Because bravery in this sort of instance where we're talking about kind of storytelling, it's just what you need to do to grab attention, right? So I think you've got methodologies which ensure that you are grabbing attention, you are kind of being entertaining in the right way, and that's what you want. If the kind of methodology discourages bravery, then it's the wrong methodology, right? Because, you know, we understand that that's what you need to do to cut through, that's what you need to do to be successful. So if we can give ourselves assurance that we're doing that, then that's great, but it can't be the other way, right? In terms of artificial intelligence and the rise of that kind of automation and machine learning, there was this search company in the US, I think it was Kayak, that took inspiration from its ads from an AI tool that automatically generated ideas for advertising copy off the back of research. I mean, is this a good thing to let artificial intelligence create the creative concept? Where do you kind of sit on that? Absolutely. It's a really interesting topic of conversation. I think artificial intelligence is never going to replace really great creativity and bravery. That's never going to come from artificial intelligence, right? So if I think about the rational upside of artificial intelligence for copywriting, I think there is definitely a place for it in our environment. You know, we have a lot of sort of more rudimentary copywriting tasks that we're doing at Catch. There's such a volume of copywriting that needs to be done. So if some of that could be replaced by copywriting to enable my team to work on more creative ideas in the copywriting space, then that's a really positive thing for the business and for the brand. So I think that's a great example of where the two can sort of sit side by side together. And if you get the results, Alex, does it matter where it comes from? If your agency says, you know, this is our bot that's generated all these great copywriting lines or it's actually Simon in the office you know with his pen if you get the results do you really care where it's come from no I don't I just think that there is still that opportunity for the two to work together like I said some of these AI functionalities they are there and they're they're doing a really good job but you know in other times they're not so we still need the, the you know copywriters to do them but you know the results are the results right what we're looking for is attention grabbing copy and attention grabbing content and creative we're in the attention economy now and so we're, that's really the outcome that we're focused on. To add to that point, I think creativity lives across the spectrum. And at one of that spectrum is the creator, the, you know, a person who makes something from scratch. And at the other end of that spectrum is the curator, the person who decides, you know, what stays and what goes. And I think we see that spectrum played out in basically every creative industry. So, you know, in film, the script writer, who we imagine sitting behind a typewriter for some reason, you know, they are the creator, but the director is the curator. The director decides, you know, ultimately what gets on screen, what stays in the cut, what stays in the edit. In music, you know, while a guitarist with a ripping guitar solo is the creator, it's the producer who is the curator. And and in basically, you know, same in fashion, same in art, in all these industries, we see creators and curators working hand in hand and the, and the outcome, you know, is dependent on both of them making smart choices. And I think in a world where, you know, artificial intelligence is part of the creative process, it's doing the creating part and creating more room for humans to be the curators. And I think, you know, there are examples of in the design world, there's technology you can use that will, will spin up, you know, 50 different versions of what a website might look like. And a designer can spend a bit less time moving pixels and a bit more time deciding, okay, out of those 50 options, these two are great, but I'd move this, change that, you know, and out it goes. And I think that relationship is something we're going to see more and more of, of you know, creative teams, but where it's a, it's a machine and a human working together to kind of share the load of creating and curating. Um, if data and creativity should sit side by side and work very closely with each other, does this change the role or the questions around creative agencies? So as a marketer, as a brand side, Rob, you know, are you going to creative agencies and saying, well, what data have you got? Or is it all about what data you can give your agencies? I think that it's in partnership. 
I mean, I think the point Simon's making there, you know, all of these different parties bring different perspectives and different points of view. And as you go through a creative process, like the, the thing I love about the campaign that we just made is that at every stage it, get, it gets better, right? So there's a creative has an idea and then, you know, we have some thoughts about how our industry or how category kind of operates and then a director gets, it gets better. So I think that so long as you're open to these things and we're all asking lots of questions of each other and working together, then ideally the process is such that that level of collaboration and the desire to make things better means that, you know, the end result is just um, is better and better and better. But in terms of the actual data, you know, I think that agencies have, have always had good data. I think they've always understood the value of data. We, we've invested a lot of time and money recently in improving our data, you know, having better lead indicators, having a much, much, much better understanding of how what we do works. And that's informed a lot of briefs that, you know, one that we've been talking to Simon about recently, you know, which is just helping us be much more refined in where we want to invest and where we think we can make the biggest difference. So, you know, that conversation between us and Digitas and Simon is really helping us kind of narrow down and be more effective. So that, that's a conversation. We both bring different data points to the table, but the end result is going to be better and more effective. And Alex, in terms of weighing up the investment around, you know, especially when creating content, creativity and data if you're at your early stages of of investing in data does that mean there is a big upswing in, in more investment in data over creative and how do you kind of work out where you're going to get the most value for your money yeah absolutely we are tussling with this this challenge every day within the business at the moment i would say we're probably shifting slightly towards investing more in martech and creative automation and data sets just so that we can really get that right to set us up for the future we have an incredible amount of first party data at catch which is fantastic but what that tells us is what our audience has done in the past it doesn't always guarantee us what they're going to do in the future so we're always going to need an element of creativity and bravery to help us sort of push those bounds a little bit, the data is only going to get us so far. And that's something that we're really continually having conversations about as we map out the plan for the next couple of years. Simon, is that a kind of a common element? You've got a lot of marketers working off all this past data. Are we seeing a shift there to looking at future trends and future patterns? Or is everybody just still too weighed down and obsessed with retrospective data? We often talk to brands about their data maturity. And there's this kind of spectrum that goes from, I mean, some brands can't measure anything. Some brands can measure what what happened in the past. Some brands can measure what happened in the past and what's happening now to get to sort of insights. Some brands can can start to be predictive with real accuracy. And basically all of the business we work with are somewhere on that spectrum and, you know, and hopefully most of them are moving from the left side to the right side, but that is a gradual shift. And it's a combination of building a culture and building skill sets as well as sort of building technology and, and data sets. And I think that's kind of where our industry is going to continue going. We are starting to see some really effective examples though of how brands can use retrospective data to make smart future decisions, whether that's in media investment or in sort of direct one-to-one comms, you know, and customer relationship management type spaces. We're working on some really interesting projects right now that I'm not really allowed to talk about, unfortunately, where we're helping brands use the data they, they have. And in some contexts, it's quite limited data sets they have on their existing audiences and augmenting that with sort of second and third party data sets to start making really accurate, you know, 90 plus percent accurate predictive models for when their customers are likely to be ready for repurchase, what products are likely to repurchase. And I think we'll see, we need to start seeing more of those examples celebrated in the same way as great creative work is celebrated so that people can build like a 
kind of a, an emotional connection and a reverence for that kind of work. Without those great examples in the world, it's, it's hard for any of us to imagine how we get there. And I think we're really just on the edge of starting to see those examples be celebrated because ultimately it's sharing you know, business intelligence, which, which brands are always going to be a, a bit cautious about doing. So I'm assuming, obviously, Alex, you've got a, a great wealth of first-party data. Rob, it's harder for you to come across. You rely on more second and third-party data. Yeah, it's a bit tricky for us because we don't have great visibility through the funnel. You know, we, mm. um, we, we, and this is the sort of thing that we've been talking to someone about recently is, you know, we just operate more at the top of the funnel. We have, we work with partners which do great conversion and that's their real skill set and their core competency, the Qantas is the Expedia's, the Booking.com's of the world. They are, are here to convert and they're very kind of good at that. You know, we sort of operate more at the top end, kind of uh, top of funnel demand generation. So it is a bit tricky for us, but, you know, we, we're trying to find ways around that as well. And we've been uh, really expanding our data sets to try and help us get a better understanding. There's only so far you can go, you know, Attribution for us is, is a little bit difficult, you know, but some of the data sets that we've been looking at recently, the best ones I think are already around search and around forward bookings. But the ability for us to have uh, metrics which correlate very highly with visitation into the future helps us get a much more accurate early view on campaign performance. But also, you know, having that data world to world gives us a much better view on our competitors. And that's probably the big shift I think that we've been really understanding is people look at the destination marketing organisations and you think that you just you do some marketing and people sort of arrive but realistically there's not an infinite pool of demand out there there's a finite pool of demand so how we get people to choose australia over other destinations is really the challenge so having the data to understand that consumer behavior and to be able to understand it you know into the future when we don't naturally have a very good or a very high degree of visibility about the conversion side of things only with the partners we work with for example is enormously helpful for us. And it's just something that we haven't had in great detail. And obviously, Tourism Australia have rolled out some, some brilliant campaigns over time and, and very effective campaigns. Is it fair to say, Simon, that, you know, yes, first-party data is as brilliant as it is, you don't necessarily need it to, to come up with incredible creative. Is Alex not in a better spot compared to Rob because she's got more first-party data? What's your kind of view on that? Brilliant creativity doesn't come from having more or less data than someone else. But brilliant creativity can be amplified better the more you know the audience you're trying to talk to. We still have, and we still see, you know, on a daily basis, amazing examples of creative work coming out of our industry and amazing work of creative work coming out of other industries where no one was looking at any data sets or spreadsheets or anything else. But typically, amazing creative work understands its audience. And data can help you do that, and it can help you do that at scale, and it, it can help you find those audiences more effectively and all the rest, but it will never be a replacement for having you know, brilliant minds coming up with, with brilliant, brave, fresh ideas. Is it better to have a data-informed mindset rather than a data-driven mindset? With all the conversations you've had, no surprise from me, it's really about a data-informed mindset. Like I said, we have all of this fantastic first-party data um, you know, we really want to start to, we can never guarantee that future that we're going to have. So we really want to make sure that we have bravery in the ideas that we create and we really start to test the boundaries so that we really just get attention from our customers. At the end of the day, that's what we want. We want to bring more customers to catch and we want them to experience our service and experience our product. So everything that we do from a creativity point of view, you know, we, we're clear on our customer and we're clear now on the, the data behind that. But that doesn't mean that that impedes any of the creativity that we have within our business. There's a great quote. I think it's from Voltaire. I'll stuff it up. But I think it's, uh, don't let 
don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And I think that's true of the data sources in tourism, right? Which is we don't have any perfect data sets. We have lots of quite good ones, uh, but there's always has to be a leap of faith at the end of that. The data can get you so far, but at some point you need to accept that you know what you know and, mm -hmm. and make a, a bold choice forward. Do you think anyone has a per perfect data set though? No. No. <laughs> Simon, exactly. you've seen it all. Who's, who's got it? <laughs> Well, it doesn't exist because data is just people in disguise and, and people are inherently flawed and we have biases and we misunderstand things and, and data sets just tell us about people. So yeah, data will never be any more perfect than the people you, you're trying to understand. Big thanks to my guests today for that brilliant discussion and please join us next week for our final episode where we'll also be discussing creativity and tech and the role and rise of immersive content from 3D content to the rise of the metaverse. Join us then. 